much of a blessing they are to us. We just pronounce your blessing upon them in Jesus' name. This is a really special day for me. I don't want to single you out, Grandpa, but Grandpa, my Grandpa is here visiting from Manitoba. He's 90, turning 91 this Saturday. Why don't you just give a wave, Grandpa? Are you? Yeah, stand up. <laughs> It's such a blessing to have you here, Grandpa. Thank you so much for coming. Grandpa and Gladys are visiting this week, so it's awesome. Get to have some time with Grandpa uh, right around his birthday. And so it's such a nice uh, treat to have you guys here. I want to start off by talking about New Covenant ethics, Christian ethics. Now, some of you may or may not have been here a few months ago when I preached about this, or a part of this, this is a different side of things with Christian ethics, because Christian ethics is really an interesting thing. We're no longer under law, so then the question becomes, okay, well, how do we live a righteous life under the New Covenant, since we're clearly no longer under law, scripturally speaking? And uh, a few months ago, I talked about how Paul actually talks about how We live in the New Covenant by walking by the Spirit. He calls it the New Covenant of the Spirit. And so we talked all about how the Holy Spirit produces the character of God in our lives. We all know about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. The Holy Spirit produces that in us. And those are all adjectives that describe God's character. And so um, that's another message for another day. I want to talk about a different facet of things today. And what I want to talk about today is the, the idea that Jesus gave us in the Sermon on, not on the Sermon on the Mount, but you'll see all throughout the scripture, this is the principle. Freely you've received, freely give. Okay? So I want to talk a bit about this because it's such an important part of what I'm talking about today. Okay? So Jesus defines righteousness differently in the New Covenant than the Old Covenant. That's what makes it a New Covenant. It's totally different. The Old Covenant was all about following laws. And if you know anything about the New Testament, we're no longer under law. So then the question is, how do we do righteousness if we're no longer having to do rules? Right? And so Jesus actually redefines what righteousness is in the New Covenant because everything we've received is a gift. Everything. That's why, you know, it's all by grace. We know that. Paul is adamant about that. We're no longer under law. It's all by grace. It's a free gift, so no one can boast. Okay, so if it's all a free gift from God, the the key is we must freely give unto others which we've received, because it's all free. So in other words, we first receive, and then out of that, we give. And that's the scripture that I, I on the, uh, the, the sentence I gave you in the first slide, Matthew 10, 8. When Jesus sends the disciples out, he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely give. And that is such an important part of what righteousness looks like in the new covenant. Jesus didn't come to give us a new set of laws He came to set us free from the law so that we could live righteously. What does righteousness look like? It looks like this. It looks like living the life Jesus lived and emanating Jesus' walk, right? We're supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ. So the new covenant is not law, okay? In other words, it's not what you must do in order to get in. That's how some people... 
see the new covenant. You read, uh, for instance, the Sermon on the Mount, and it's like, oh, this is even harder than the Old Testament, right? Jesus says, you shall not, not only shouldn't you murder, if you even call your brother a fool, you're in danger of hell. So people take that as, oh my goodness, this is like law to the nth degree. But that's not actually true. Jesus didn't come to give us another law. He came to redefine righteousness and what that looks like. Okay, so it's not it's not what you have to do to get God's favor. In other, rather, it is response to the kingdom of God as gift. It's our response to God's grace as gift that that's how we do the new covenant. So He loves us unconditionally. Therefore, we love unconditionally. Okay, he accepts us unconditionally. Therefore, we accept others unconditionally. In other words, He acts first, and we respond out of that. Okay, so God accepts, forgives, secures, and loves us unconditionally, which means that we no longer have to earn these things by doing law, which is what they have to do in the Old Covenant. So it's not that we have to do these things in order to be righteous, it's that we get to because God so extravagantly gave us these things as gift. Okay, so this the fact that kingdom of heaven is gift frees us to treat others as God treated us, to forgive and love them unconditionally. Now, I want to show you a couple of scriptures that show this principle really clearly. This is all throughout the New Testament, but I just want to, so we, we're on the same page. I'm setting us up for something here. So 1 John chapter 4, 16 to 21. A lot of us know these scriptures because they're so famous. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus, right? Being conformed to the image of Christ. That's what it's all about. That's how we have, that's how love is made complete among us, that we live like Jesus. He's our example. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment, The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. You see that? He first loved us, therefore we love out of that love we've received from him. This is where it gets intense. Verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Okay, but how do we do it? Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. That is how he redefines righteousness, right? He first loved us, therefore we have Not the obligation, but the privilege to love others like he loved us. To show God's love to the world, to show them the kingdom of heaven that he so graciously gave us as a free gift. That's how we do it. How else are people going to know God unless we act like God? Which is to love and accept people unconditionally. So you might remember a few weeks I gave this statement. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And what's the main thing? To be conformed to the image of Christ. I already said that. This is Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, us. So in other words, we're to be conformed to how Jesus lived and walked, right, in his ministry, in life. And I already gave you this, 1 John 4, 17. This is how love is made complete among us. In this world, we are like Jesus. So Jesus is our example, right? He's our ultimate example of what love looks like, of what righteousness looks like in the new covenant. Now, with that in mind, I want to show you something. Romans 5, 6 to 10. You see, at just the right time, when we're still, we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. That's how he shows it. Right? Remember in, the, in 1 John 4, we are called to love others like Christ loved us. What does that look like? It looks like dying for your enemies. Look at the very next verses. Okay, this is verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, and we just sang about the blood of Jesus, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Verse 10. For if while we were God's enemies... We were his enemies, all of us. We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? That's how Jesus, how much he loved us. While we were still his enemies, he went through extravagant pain and suffering to die for you, to die for me, to die for all of us. All we have to do is receive the free gift of salvation by grace, right? But the point is, we were, he did that while we were still his enemies, while we were still sinners. We didn't deserve one bit of that. Now, Jesus died while we were yet his enemies. Oh, back one. Sorry, I wasn't done. And tells us to do the same. That's the point, right? Remember, we've received, freely receive, freely give. I have that there. And I'm going to continually remind us because that's the principle. Jesus died for us and loved us while we are his enemies. Look at what he tells us to do. Okay, good. now next slide. Matthew 5, 6 to 10. So this is Jesus talking. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, love your enemies. Not even just like them. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Okay? Remember, we're supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ. He was the exact representation of the Father. So in other words, what Jesus did is exactly what the Father would have done. And, the, and if we're to look like the Father, this is how we have to live. We have to love our enemies. We have to pray for them. He, now, to go on, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what rewards will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do, you not, do not even pagans do that? Verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your father is perfect. Okay. So, talking about new covenant righteousness, right? Jesus redefines what righteousness is. So what is righteousness? The new covenant righteousness is twofold in orientation. 
First of all, it's predicated on God's prior action, okay? His forgiveness and his acceptance. We've been talking about that. Number two, it's therefore rooted in the very character of God himself. God is love, therefore love. Okay, so this, this verse that I just read, which is kind of intimidating, be perfect as the Father's perfect, what does that mean? The children of God are to bear the image of the King himself, their Heavenly Father, which we've already been talking about, be conformed to the image of Christ. This is the way God is, and he calls his people to bear his likeness. Free forgiveness, free acceptance, unconditional love just like he loved us. So the kingdom of God sets us free to look like the Father and to be his children. Okay? The fact that he gave it to us as a gift frees us because we're no longer trying to jump through religious hoops to gain acceptance. We already have that acceptance. And because of that, we can love freely. We can forgive freely. We're no longer trying to earn his favor. Now, to be sure, this doesn't mean having all the divine perfections, right? Be perfect as your father is perfect. What does that mean? It means to be as the father is who shows mercy, forgiveness, generosity, love. That's what that means. Be like your father. Treat others like he's treated you. So the, God's kingdom rule as gift sets us free to live this kind of life. By the Holy Spirit, right? We talked about that earlier, how he produces God's character in us. Now, with all that being said, I want to get a little more specific, even though I've alluded to this a couple times. Freely you've received, freely forgive is what I want to talk about today. Forgiveness, right? Because this is applicable to all these things I've been talking about, loving unconditionally, um, accepting people unconditionally. I want to talk about forgiving people unconditionally. And in all honesty, we can't talk about this enough, and I'm going to show you why. Because, uh, you know, I, 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 this is something that we should continually consider. This is a really, 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 really important topic, and, and hopefully by the end of today, if you don't already know that, you're going to know that because it's so important. So, what I want to first of all say is forgiveness is what lies at the heart of the gospel, of the New Testament, of what, what the, you know, we're all about as followers of Jesus. Because if you think about it, what lies at the heart of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection for our sins is, the, is his gracious heart of forgiveness. Okay? That, I mean, that really sums it up, right? God so loved us that he gave his only son... That whoever should believe in him will have ever eternal lasting life with the Father because he so loved us. His forgiveness of our sins is what makes that possible through Christ. He longs to forgive us and for us to experience that forgiveness. That's God's desire. That's what the gospel's all about. Okay. Now, I want to say this again. Because righteousness in the new covenant is predicated on God's prior acceptance, one is free to have a new stance towards others, to love them to death, to love them like God loves us, right? So, because he forgave us freely and unconditionally, unforgiveness is no longer an option. 
No longer not. We can't choose because it's not even an option. Because God so forgave us while we were still his enemies that we, we just don't even have that option anymore. Okay? So we're free to love that person who wronged us the way God did to us. With forgiveness, with kindness, with mercy. Right? That's what it's all about. Now I just want to show you a couple scriptures showing this. Okay, this is from Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Look at this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This actually shows us how we grieve the Holy Spirit right after this. With whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 31, this is how we grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of all bitterness, which comes from unforgiveness, by the way. Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Okay, if you're going to say something negative about somebody, it's probably better not to say it at all, even if it's just an opinion. Because there's a fine line between negative opinions and slander. I would rather err on the side of no. What, what, look at what he tells us. No unwholesome talk, only what's for building others up, not tearing them down. So 32, be kind and compassionate with one another. Here's the point. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. You see that? God forgave you, therefore forgive others. That's the whole point. Freely you've received, freely forgive. Now here's another verse that says something in a slightly different way. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have any grievance against someone. Look at this. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You see that? That's the way it works in the new covenant. God forgave you, therefore forgive others just like he did to you. Give them that free gift. Number uh, 14. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now with that being said... If you don't already understand that forgiveness is super important, I want to show you why this is super important, if you don't already know. Because this is a really, really serious thing. This isn't like something we can... Like I said, unforgiveness isn't even an option for us. It's not even an option. It's really a big deal to the Lord. So here's the consequences of unforgiveness. Now I want to talk about a, a parable from Matthew 18 that most of us may be aware of, but it's an important parable demonstrating why this is so important. So this is Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Now I have this in purple because I'm going to break it up a little bit to explain some things. But starting in verse 21, this is uh, Peter now coming up to Jesus, and this is his question. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? <laughs> I always get a kick out of it. Jesus, like, he's, he thinks he's being like spectacular, like seven times, like that's huge, right? So he's expecting Jesus to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, seven times, that's good. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or other versions say seven times seven, which is 490. The point is, and I'll share that later, is unlimited times. Now, on that note, I just want to say something about this question Peter had. Because remember, we're no longer under law. We're no longer trying to quantify our righteousness, which is what Peter was trying to do. He was trying to say, okay, how many times do I have to do this righteous thing that you will be okay with me, okay? Now, I want you to think about this. 
So how many times might I forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven times. Think about this hypothetically. Say somebody comes up to Peter and punches him. And Peter takes it and he's like, okay, I'm a good Christian, I forgive you. Then the guy has the nerve to come up again and punch him again. Okay, I'm going to forgive you a second time. Then the guy comes up again and punches him. Okay, that's number three. And then again and again and again and again. Seven times. Then Peter's like, that's it. There's your seventh. Punches him back. Okay. Now I want to ask you this. In that hypothetical example, how many times has Peter forgiven the guy? How many of you say seven times? He's never forgiven. He's never forgiven. Okay, think about that, right? How many times have you forgiven? Seven times? No. He hasn't forgiven any. Why? Because you can't count and forgive. Those are mutually exclusive options, right? Because if you're counting, then you've never forgiven in the first place, have you? No. So, that question is, is a mute question. Like, Jesus is trying to get Peter to rethink this whole thing. No, it's not about quantifying righteousness any longer. It's about treating others like the Father treated you. And he forgave you how much? Right? I'm getting to that. Because righteousness is predicated in God's prior acceptance, piety is no longer quantified. So, how many times must I forgive sets limits? Okay? Under God's kingdom, rule of forgiveness, it's unlimited. Unlimited. It's unconditional. So the answer to Peter's question is, how many times has God forgiven you? Countless. That's how many times you have to forgive others, is the point. Okay? So now Jesus, to go back to the parable, gives this illustration. I love this illustration. So this is the, he goes, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. I want to just do some math right now, because often we see like 10,000 talents means nothing to us. I'm going to show you what that actually means in modern terms. One talent of gold was 1,200 ounces or approximately 75 pounds of gold. He owed him 10,000 of these talents of gold. So that's 12 million ounces or 750,000 pounds or 375 tons of gold. Okay, I looked up the price of gold a few days ago, September 21st. The price of gold right now is $1,744 in Canada. Times that by 12 million ounces, he owed him almost $21 billion dollars. Okay, that puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Like, there's no way he could pay him back. No way, right? It's limited. That's the point Jesus is making. The, also, the king represents Jesus. In other words, we've all been forgiven, like, a tremendous debt that we can't fathom. 
There's no way we could pay him back. He just had pity on us and said, okay, you're forgiven of this huge debt. That's the point I make here. But essentially, forgiveness is the cancellation of the debt. And that's what I wanted to say. This man received forgiveness for unpayable debt, which represents someone who received forgiveness for his sins through Jesus Christ. Now, now the parable goes on. Look at what the servant does. But when that servant, and what I want to point out, this is a Christian in the parable. It's a servant. It's somebody who received forgiveness, right, from Jesus for his sins. Born-again believer. Okay? He went out. He found one of his fellow servants, another Christian. This is not unbelievers is the point. This is Christians who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, to put this in perspective, one denarii was a day's wage. Okay, so what does that mean? Three, about three months of wage, so 25% of a year's salary, whatever that means to you. We'll just say $12,000. Like, it's not insignificant. It's a lot of money. It's not some, right? Okay, but it's not $21 billion, right? Not even close. So, that's what he owed him. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw that he, what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Look at this. This is the master's reply. The master called the servant in, you wicked servant. Now we're talking about new covenant righteousness. Remember, freely you receive, freely give. You did not freely give, so that's wickedness. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? Freely you receive, freely you give. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. Until he should pay back all he owes. $21 billion. Is that not talking about hell? In my opinion, it is. Okay, you might disagree. He's saying, until you pay me back, you're going to be tortured, right? So in other words, you're cutting off God's grace by keeping this bitterness and unforgiveness. It actually says that in Hebrews 12. Don't fall short of the grace of God. Don't let any bitter root grow up and defile many in you. Talking about unforgiveness, which produces bitterness. So, look at verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you Christians, right? He's talking about Christians, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Not a mental ascent, from your heart. And honestly, bitterness and unforgiveness produces a host of negative emotions. Bitterness, anger. Like, you know how... Often you can tell if you haven't forgiven someone, if you actually have a negative emotion when you think of that person, or if you see that person, or you're like, I hope I don't see that person today, right? Because you feel that, uh, whatever, they might have hurt you or offended you. That shows you you have unforgiveness because it's in your heart. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. You need a lot of grace to forgive. We all do because we're all going to be offended with people, guaranteed. It's promised. But... The point is, you have to work through that. You have to ask God for the grace to let it go. Because you don't want this to happen to you. And you know, medical science, I just saw this video a few weeks ago online. 
is showing that unforgiveness leads to cancer and all these negative things. Because if you have chronic unforgiveness that produces anxiety, which produces cortisol, which eventually produces a whole bunch of negative health effects because it suppresses uh, white blood cells, your immune system. This is literally something we have to deal with to not end up in bad health. And a lot of people have bad health because you just can see people who have bitterness and unforgiveness. You can almost tell, can't you? Like you see some people who are a little bit older and you can tell they've harbored bitterness in their lives because they have a whole bunch of negative things. Not to say that's always why you have negative health, but you see what I'm saying, right? Sometimes that's correlated. We don't want to go there, do we? We want to live a life in freedom. The only way to experience Christ's freedom is to freely forgive. It's to freely forgive. Now, if that weren't enough, look at, how, look at this. This is now the Lord's Prayer. Something I'm assuming we all know. Even if we were born again yesterday, we probably all know this. But I, I want to point out something. We might, because we know it so well, we might not think about this. But look at how this is Jesus' instruction to us and in how to pray regularly. Okay, this is Matthew 6, 9 through 15. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as... We have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then Jesus, like, by the way, if you miss this, <laughs> like this tells me we should pray this like every day, right? But if, just in case you missed it, look what Jesus says. Okay, in case you missed that, here's verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not Forgive you your sins. Remember the parable we just read. That's exactly what he's saying. If you don't forgive, unfortunately, you're going to be sent to the tormentors because you didn't forgive. It's, it's saying that in a different way. Look at Mark. This is another, a different instruction in how to pray. This is Mark 11 now, verses 22 to 25. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and doesn't doubt in their heart but believes what they have uh, will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you receive it and it will be yours, which is amazing. But look at this. Often people, That's the thing with the Lord's Prayer. People often stop there and don't go on to verse 14, which says if you forgive, you'll be forgiven. If you don't, you won't. Same thing in Mark 11. Often people and they're like, yes, whatever you believe will be yours. But look what Jesus says. He's not done. He says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So that, it's conditional, isn't it? On our forgiveness. So that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Freely you received, freely give. And if you have something against somebody while you pray, you got to forgive them. Okay? It's, that's, now, I'm telling you this because these are clear-cut teachings of Jesus. This is the gospel. This is something we have to really, really, really consider. And I understand it's kind of weighty because I'm sure we all have to work through forgiveness. I mean, we do all have to work through forgiveness at some point in our lives. Maybe not right this minute, but we have to work through this. Okay? We can't just hold on to grudges and bitterness because if we do, not only will it affect our health, it could affect our relationship with, our eternal relationship with God if we hold on to those things. So, this is something I want us to consider. Now, these are helpful, actually. If you consider, okay, 
The person, now, the person in that parable, they, he clearly forgot the $21 billion he is forgiven. Because if he was like, look, I was forgiven $21 billion. Really, I should not hold this grudge against this other person who did this thing to me, right? Because I was forgiven so much. If we consider and realize the extent, and we read that, right, in Romans 5, the extent that Jesus went through on the death, burial, resurrection for us to freely forgive us, we consider the eternal torment he saved us from and delivered us from, then we'll freely release others. That's a major key to being able to forgive. Okay? Now, I'm preaching to myself. Don't get me wrong. I'm not... We all have to forgive. This is a big deal. But the key point is if I want God's grace and mercy, I must give grace and mercy to others. Remember, freely receive, freely give. That's the principle. Now, unforgiveness is a scheme of Satan. Okay? And I want to show you this scripturally. This is actually a major scheme of the devil is getting people into unforgiveness. This is actually a biggest trap, too. It shipwrecks people's faith and opens up the door of all kinds of errant beliefs and behavior. Unforgiveness. If we don't forgive, then Satan will latch onto and destroy people and communities quicker than anything else. Guaranteed. Now, I'm not talking, I'm talking the church, but I'm talking marriages. I'm ta- if we don't learn the lesson of forgiveness like in the first two months of marriage, right, no wonder there's so many divorces. We need to learn this lesson. Constantly forgiving, constantly giving forgiveness freely, unconditionally. Right? That's a major key to marriage. But not only marriage, friendships, you name it. Unforgiveness is the biggest killer of communities and relationships guaranteed. Like, we just think of church splits even. If people would freely forgive everybody unconditionally, church splits would never happen, would it? Like, uh, you just name it. That's why the devil wants us to get into unforgiveness. Okay, it's a big tactic of his. Now, Paul the Apostle, before I go into this, I want to just give you some context. If If we don't know this, there's two letters to the Corinthians in the Bible. Okay, Paul planted this church, all these people got saved, and then he had just headaches with them. People calling him a false apostle, people just slandering him. Okay, now there's hints at what happened, but we don't know for sure. But just before this, so he visited them, they got saved, planted a church, okay, and then we, he sends 1 Corinthians, which we all know, and there's all these problems. Then he visits them again. We don't know much about that second visit other than something major happened, something blew up. Because he says in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1 in 2 Corinthians, that I spared you from another painful visit. And he said, I wrote you in tears and hard, or, uh, great grief of heart. Something happened. There was some kind of confrontation where people confronted him in his second visit, and it was painful. But now, this is his response to that. Because he says, he wrote them another letter, and he said, before I visit you again, I wanted you to write this letter to spare you from me visiting you again so this wouldn't happen again. Now look at this. If anyone has caused grief... This is towards Paul. If anyone's caused grief, he's not so much grieved me as he's grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. So Paul, there was clearly some repercussions of this, okay, of whatever these people did to him. 
Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him, so that he'll not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him, talking about reconciliation. Okay? Whoever this person was that caused all this grief for Paul. Verse 9, another reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I've forgiven, if there was anything to forgive. See, he, he's in counting, right? He's like, I already forgot about it. If there's anything to forgive, right? I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Look at this, verse 11. In order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are un, not unaware of his schemes. You see that? Notice that it's at the point of failing to genuinely forgive that we have this word of caution that I just ended with. In order that Satan won't take advantage of us. In order that Satan won't outwit us. Because we're on to him. And he's trying to get us into unforgiveness and cause a church split. But we're not unaware of this. Right? So we don't want him to take advantage of us because we know this is his plan to keep us in that unforgiveness. Now, I, would, I already said this, but I'm going to say it again. There's probably nothing that more quickly destroys, that destroys what the gospel is trying to do in our individual lives and in our relationships than this failure to genuinely forgive. I'm talking our individual lives. You know, you might have heard this before. I've heard it, and I like this analogy. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Forgiveness is for our sake. It really is for our sake. Because like I said, if we hold on to forgiveness, that produces bitterness, which ends up crippling people. It really does. And so we need to, for our sake, and the other person's sake, but for our sake, forgive people. Okay? In, now, injustices, offenses will come. Jesus promises this in all of our lives. Guaranteed. We're all people in a process, <laughs> right, of salvation. Like, we're not perfect. So, therefore, we're inevitably going to offend people. They're going to offend us. Now, the only way out of this is for us to see the transgressor experience forgiveness from us and from God. That's the only way out of this trap. This trap of unforgiveness is we have to see them forgiven from us and from God. Now, Satan's going to try everything to keep us from doing that above anything else. He's going to keep little hurts continually going, grudges, right? Past hurts. But we know his schemes, right? We know this is a scheme. And so if he's whispering in your ears, remember what so-and-so did to you? Remember that look they gave you last week? Remember that thing that they did 10 years ago to you? This is just the same. We're not unaware of his schemes. He's just trying to get you back into unforgiveness and hold grudges, right? If he can keep you from forgiving, he can keep you from truly experiencing the freedom of the gospel. So this is the key point. There is nothing that's more healing, more powerful, and, more, and truly transforming in our lives than the powerful grace of forgiveness. Okay? It is powerful. And that's why the devil's always trying to get us into unforgiveness. It's powerful. This is, this is his, why he tries to keep us to keep drudges, grudges, to remember wrongs, and to just simply not forgive for past hurts. Now, those past hurts are genuine. This is not downplaying the fact that someone really hurt you. Right? Like, I know some people have horrific stories. 
horrific that, you know, I couldn't even relate to because they're so bad. And, and some of you might have had those. I understand that is really challenging, right? But God will give you the grace to do it. He will, guaranteed. He doesn't tell us to do something he won't give you the grace and power to do. That would just be unfair. If he tells us to forgive, he will. Now, it might be a process, but he'll, he will help us through it, guaranteed. So Paul's exhortation, let's not let Satan have an advantage over us because we don't offer genuine forgiveness. Remember Jesus said that at the end of that parable, Matthew 18, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart, not just lip service, I forgive you, from your heart, so that you don't feel that anymore. It's the only way the gospel is going to work is if we forgive, the only way. And that's what the gospel is. Remember, God graciously free, God's gracious free forgiveness of our sins against him is what the gospel is all about. It's gracious forgiveness of all those $21 billion that we owe him because of our sins. Remember, freely you've received, freely give. So what should we do in light of all this? That's the question. Jesus is our example, isn't he? Right? We've already talked about that. Being conformed to the image of Christ. Freely receive, freely give. Now I want you to consider something. No matter how much we've been hurt, I guarantee you, probably, nothing compared to Jesus. Now these are just a couple examples. Okay, there's more I could talk about with the constant slander and persecution and lies and all these things that happened to him. But just think of this. His closest, one of his closest friends that he poured into for over three years, it could be more, Judas. Like, he slept with him, he ate with him. These were his 12 best friends. Sold him, betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Like, I can't think, now... (laughs) I can't think of much as more, like, one of your best friends trading you for that? For thir- like, is that all I'm worth? All these years I poured into you of friendship? Is that it? 30 pieces of silver? He was abandoned by his closest friends when he needed him the most. We know this. When he was captured after Judas betrayed him, his disciples scattered, except for John. In fact, Peter denied that he even knew him to a servant girl. Right? Can you imagine, like, Peter, I mean, we're like best friends. You won't, you're telling them you don't even know me. Like, those are, some, those are really painful. We don't have to think about how painful that would be. But not only that, he was flogged, which we can't fathom. How many of you have seen Passion of the Christ? Yeah, that's probably an understatement, I'm guessing. The Romans were ruthless. And crucifixion was for the was for runaway slaves. It was like the worst death and worst punishment anyone could receive in the Roman Empire. So not only was he flogged and beaten horrendously and put a crown of thorns on his head, he suffered the worst death possible. Imagine having nails, right? You can't even fathom the pain he went through. What was his response? (laughs) Okay? Look at this. This is from Luke 23, Remember, he's our example, 33 to 34. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right, one on his left. Jesus said this, Father, he's hanging on this cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. 
in the midst of this unfathomable pain. This is his response. Forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Right? I want to point out something. He did not make them grovel on the ground and beg for mercy, did he? He didn't. He just said, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He didn't make them grovel on the ground. He didn't make them have to beg him for mercy. No. Forgive them, Father, in the midst of it, while they're hurling insults at him. Like, it's the most amazing picture of what genuine forgiveness looks like. And Jesus is our example. Unless you've hung on a cross, right, and went through all these horrendous things, right, it's probably whatever we've experienced, and I don't want to diminish it anyway. Okay, so some of us might experience really bad things. But you see what I'm saying. Jesus, that's pretty bad, what he was experiencing, and this is his response. And he's our example. This should be our response to others who do us wrong. True forgiveness is completely, completely unconditional. Like I said, they don't have to grovel on the ground. They don't even have to apologize. Did these guys apologize to Jesus for him to say that? If we're talking true forgiveness, truly unconditional, which means no conditions, none, like the Father did to us while we're still sinners and his enemies, does that not mean unconditional? Like, I mean, no conditions, meaning they don't have to, even if they don't say sorry, even if they don't do anything, we still have to forgive them. Like Jesus did, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Oh, next slide, please. To truly forgive is to truly let it go and to let God have it. They no longer owe us anything. Remember, forgiveness is a cancellation of a debt. So as long as we're holding a grudge, we're saying you still owe me something. You owe me an apology or you owe me that money. Or you... Forgiveness is, nope, you don't owe me anything. I forgive that, right? That's what Jesus says. Forgive us our debts as we forgive the, those who trans who owe us debts. I said that wrong. I'm used to a different version. But anyway, forgive us our debtors as we forgive those, our debtors, yes. Forgive us, anyway. <laughs> I can't believe I messed up. Anyway, you see what I'm saying. I love this quote from Jason Upton. He says, forgiveness, we don't forgive because people deserve it. We forgive so we can see again. We don't forgive because people deserve it. These people clearly did not deserve it when Jesus forgave them for crucifying him, did they? No way. But he forgave them anyway. And that's what our response should be. So, in light of all that, I want to give us an opportunity to forgive. Because Jesus, right, he says, when you pray, so this is something we should do regularly. So even though some of us might have done this last weekend when Steve and Lillian were here, maybe something happened during this week that we need to do this again, right? This is probably something we should do daily as the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us as we forgive others. And I want to give us this opportunity to forgive. Freely receive, freely forgive. So what I want us to do is just... Let's close our eyes. I want to just do this ministry time, and we'll do it together. And I want us just to ask the Lord if there's anyone who we need to forgive. Now, some people, we might just know right away, yeah, so-and-so said this thing to me the other day, and I'm still feeling bad about it. 
But I love this when Carol, Carol Arnett always asks this question. It gets me every time. And I'm going to ask you this question. How many of you would want to be exactly like your mom and dad? How many? Zero. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because I'm going to propose to you whatever the reasons that you didn't raise your hand, there's a chance you might need to forgive your parents for those things. Does that make sense? I also mentioned earlier, maybe there's somebody you think about and you still feel a negative feeling. Or if you see someone, like maybe your boss, enter your office and you, you just get this ugh feeling. You probably need to forgive them. Okay, these are just some examples to help you. If you're going through that, that's a good way. But I just want you to pray. Ask the Lord to show you if there's anyone you need to forgive, okay? And it could be your spouse. It could be your parents. It could be somebody who passed away years ago. You might still be holding that grudge. It could be coworkers, anybody. Just, just ask the Lord. If someone comes to mind, that's probably the Lord highlighting that person. Just give you a couple more seconds here and just keep on praying. Now, when you're ready, I have this prayer here. Uh, back one, please. This is just a prayer you can pray. As the Lord's given you people to forgive, I have this up here. And we'll say this together in a minute, but I just want you to see that now because some of you might have multiple people you need to forgive. And so I'll leave that up for a while. But it's just asking God to, to help us forgive others. Just a couple more seconds here. Okay. So I want us to say this together, but you don't have to name names out loud or just name it under your breath so we don't hear. Like if you're by your spouse, Harry, hopefully there's Harry's in here. If there's a Harry, sorry, and you're like, Lord, help me forgive Harry or Bob or whatever. No, you know what? You're saying, <laughs> you don't just whisper or whatever. You see what I'm saying? But let's just say this together. Okay, on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus, you are, thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place that I might be forgiven. By an act of my will, I now choose to forgive those who've hurt me or sinned against me. Now here, I forgive, name the name, <laughs> for and be specific, okay? So I forgive Bob for not cleaning the toilet the other day when he said he would, or whatever, okay? <laughs> Hopefully that didn't happen in here, but... So I forgive. we'll just take a minute here, and just as the Lord brings people up, just name them and be specific for the offense, if you, if you know why. a few more seconds and I want to pray something together again but remember I'm going to post these online and so if you want this prayer I post the notes on Facebook and on our newsletter you're welcome to I, th I would suggest you do this regularly okay Th Lord who do I need to forgive and then be specific so let's say this as we've um, prayed these things to the Lord let's say this together I give to each one of these 
Yeah, just repeat after me. The gift of unconditional forgiveness. They owe me nothing. I entrust them to you. And I bless each of them in your name. Okay, now that we've done that, this is small. Sorry about that print. But now let's ask the Lord to forgive us for our wrong responses to them. Okay? Because chances are we may not have, if they offended us, we may not have responded in a godly manner, right? Whether it's anger, whether it's bitterness or resentment. So let's just say this together. You can repeat after me. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for my ungodly responses to the offense and the pain. I have judged these whom I have mentioned with wrong attitudes and words and in bitterness and anger. And if there's other wrong responses, I have to be specific there. So, I ask you now to forgive me for my ungodly and sinful responses. Now here I have, speak out the ungodly ways that you've responded to the pain the people have caused you. And you can do this on your own time, but if you need to do it now, I encourage you to. If, if God's highlighting some things that you need to ask for forgiveness for. Okay, so I'll continue. Forgive me for these and any other sinful, hidden things in my heart. that have given the enemy legal rights to torment me. I choose to repent of these ungodly and sinful responses and practices. Thank you, Jesus, that I'm forgiven. And you're setting me free. I ask you to come and move powerfully in my life to change me. Now, I want to encourage you that God has forgiven you, okay? Like, like the gospel's for real. And, and by you repenting and genuinely repenting and asking God to forgive you for those sinful ways that you responded, he has forgiven you. And I just want to proclaim that over you, that you are forgiven, okay? He doesn't hold this against you anymore. He genuinely means it when he says, as far as the east is from the west, so I've forgotten your sins, he no longer holds his transgressions against you. And so this, is a, this might be a process. Like maybe after this you still feel that anger. I just encourage you to, to ask God for the grace to really just let it go from your heart. And this might be something you have to do regularly. But I encourage you to do it because I hope after today you realize how important it is that we forgive unconditionally. And on that note, I just want to mention this book. If you're new here, this is the book you get. Uh, as a gift. So if you fill out your name and email on the Connect card, Grace and Forgiveness by John and Carol Arnett, a really good book. For, and, and it's only like $8 or something. And we have it at the bookstore. So if you want to buy it. But uh, just wanted to mention this, that it's also a really good book with good examples. If you want to continue on your journey of forgiveness and, and check out that book, by all means. And here's Tricia. <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to add, if you also feel like you're still dealing with those feelings of 
Um, one of the things that can help, of course, is praying for those who hurt you. So some of you might know that, but one of the ways to help with that is actually, because um, it says to bless those who curse you and to pray for those who, so, so in praying for them, you don't just pray like God revealed to them that they're a sinner, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> reveal that they need help because I'm better than them. No, no, no. <laughs> you pray like blessings and like pure blessings. So like what you would want someone to pray over you. That's what you pray over them. So sometimes people say, pray for those who hurt you, and then they're like, oh, I'm praying for them, you know, but, but it's got to be like pure blessings, like, oh, I just pray that you bless their finance. That's one that I find that is so powerful. I'll be like, just bless them with a whole bunch of money, you know, and I'm like, oh, that one hurt. I'm like, okay, that was a good one. And then you're like, okay, bless them with, you know, like something that's like, you know, with your presence. Let, let them feel your presence amazing, because you kind of want to almost like, no, they shouldn't feel God's presence like that. They need to feel bad for what they did but when you're like no like I want them to be blessed you know and you really mean it from your heart it can start to transform your heart and if you're still dealing with it just do it every day you know whenever they come to mind just okay God I just pray that you would bless them ridiculously more than I'm blessed you know like they would have more money than me that they mean you know encountering your presence more than I encounter you like just just blessing you know um in such a powerful way is such another thing and then just to add one other thing to that. On the other side, the flip side, um, there's a whole message about boundaries. So just because you forgive, you work through your forgiveness doesn't mean that you necessarily put yourself in the exact same position again with that person. And so if there is a person that is a repeat offender, there is um, healthy boundaries that you can set up um, that are just for protection and they're not necessarily like walls of unforgiveness. There's a difference, right? Um, so that's a whole nother message, um, but I just wanted to add that in there as well, just so nobody felt like, oh, okay, I just have to, you know, continue to put myself in that position forever, um, just because sometimes there's wisdom and just pulling away from the circumstance or, you know, not hanging out with Betty Joe all the time because she always does really mean things to you, you know, or whatever it is. So there's... Um, good boundaries in place. And so at some point we'll, we'll go into those more as well, but I just wanted to add that to it as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Clearly if it's an abusive situation, you, there's boundaries, right? You can forgive from afar until that person repents. And that's, you know, that's what Trisha's saying. So good word, Trisha. 